Welcome to Better News, a series of special podcasts, It's All Journalism, is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by API and the Knight Lenfest News Initiative. It's also funded by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research API has published as part of its Better News initiative. The Post and Courier in Charleston, South Carolina, realized its traditional revenue streams, print advertising, and circulation were in decline. They had to find a way to reverse that trend, and fast. What they turned to was a mini-publisher model that helped them build new products and audience revenue. Here to talk about that is executive editor Mitch Pugh. Welcome to the podcast, Mitch. Thank you. To start off with... How bad was the revenue situation at the Post and Courier? Well, I mean, I think that for us, because we are family-owned and privately held, the situation probably was not as dire as it might be in other cities or other newspapers. But we're not immune by being family-owned and privately held to the same headwinds that everybody else in the industry is facing. And, and, you know, we have a really great president and publisher, PJ Browning, and she was looking uh, down the road, you know, at a five and a 10-year plan and seeing where the trends were taking us. And, and it wasn't anywhere good, as everyone knows. So, you know, she really set us some time aside to start thinking about what does that look like? What do we need to change to change that trajectory? And that was right around the time that we entered into the Pointer Local News Innovation Program. And so those two things just kind of came together at the right time. So can you briefly describe what your mini publisher model is? Sure. So, you know, one of the things that they teach you as part of the table stakes initiative is sort of this notion of empowering the people within, whether it's your newsroom or other departments within the um, operation to operate like they're their own publishers. So what we looked at were, you know, what topic areas can we own that we do better than any of our competitors or that we have specific expertise or passion around? And then we created, what you know, these mini publisher groups in which one or two people are empowered to operate sort of as the, the mini publisher, uh, along with, you know, members from other departments. So an example of that would be our food mini publisher group, which is run by our food editor, but has representatives from the newsroom from marketing, circulation, sales, and those folks all work together to try to drive audience to our content around food. And Charleston's a big food city, so that's that part's not as challenging. But the other piece of that is to generate then revenue around that sort of vertical. And, and, that, and that can be anything from events to contesting to just, you know, different products. We do a food podcast. So there's lots of different ways that you can operate within that structure and each team is empowered to make those decisions work together then to implement them. You know, they're all working toward a broader, bigger organizational goal, but within that team, they're making their own decisions and operating as their own little business unit. So what were some of the goals that you set when you started out with this initiative? So as part of the Pointer Project, there was a big overall goal. We're just finishing up year two of that process. So the first year, we said we wanted to make a little under $900,000 in new revenue from what we called, you know, audience and emerging product. So part of that is digital only subscriptions. So that's a part of our plan. But other big pieces of that are events, merchandise, contesting, email newsletters, podcasts, all of those things sort of roll up into that bucket. And in order to, to hit those goals, in addition to the many publisher groups, we had what we called working groups. And those groups were aligned around the different buckets that, you know, the revenue might come up through, whether it would be subscriptions or events or, you know, email. And so those groups then worked together to make sure the company was hitting its, you know, top line goals, but then 
working with all the mini publisher groups to help them understand the best way to utilize something like an event to drive the results within their mini publisher group. So they would give them an event playbook, support, training, that sort of thing. So it's it's sort of like a, a it's, it's large sort of overall structure, but then it kind of trickles down into these mini publisher groups and they're all working towards the same goal, which is to generate revenue that we didn't have before in areas where we didn't have that kind of revenue before to try to start chipping away at where we're losing in traditional areas. So how did you measure success? Well, I mean, there's a couple of different ways. Obviously, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're all in this business knowing that we have to make money. So at the end of the day, revenue is probably the top line goal. But we also had goals around audience size. We had uh, goals around certain types of, of revenue. So, you know, digital only subscriptions is the biggest driver in those buckets. But we, you know, we can't just rely on that. So we had goals or some smaller goals around things like podcasting where that, where that revenue situation is a little more challenging. But, you know, I think we also wanted to drive, you know, engagement with our readers. We wanted to see deeper, better relationships with th those audiences. So you're looking at things like, the number of unique visitors, the number of times that they come back to the site, the frequency at which they're, you know, interacting with the content, um, the number of people that show up for events, those sorts of things. So there's, 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 a, there's a lot of different measurements, and it sort of depends um, on what that mini pub publisher group is working in, the area they're working in, and what their specific goals are. So how did you get your staff involved, both editorial and sales? Sure. I mean, you know, that's, you know that, is a, that is a challenge. I would say, interestingly for us, I think, you know, if, if you were to talk to, you know, publishers in the business, they might say the newsroom sometimes is the hardest to bring along. We actually found here that it was, it was kind of the opposite. The newsroom embraced it immediately. I mean, I think in a large part, because from top down, we all embraced it. So that, so that made a difference. But I also think our newsroom looked at this as a, as a really unique opportunity. Everything about this initiative really supports the values that most journalists have. So we all want to do great work. We all want to do meaningful work, deeper work, and we all want to have that relationship and impact with our audiences. So the things that we're asking them to learn and do are not at odds with sort of the, their values. Whereas I think in the early days of sort of digital first and that click-based economy that came with that, some of the things that we asked our journalists to do may not have been as closely aligned with their values. So that was a huge part of it. But then they also, I think, felt like we want to take ownership of this. We want to be a part of the solution where we don't want to just sit on the sideline, sit on the side sidelines and um, say that's marketing's problem or that's circulation's problem or that's sales problem. They were they were eager to get involved and be a part of that process. The challenge that we actually had, um, the bigger challenge was going into a sales team where they have significantly larger revenue goals tied into legacy that they still have to hit. They're, they're still expected to, to, to maintain, you know, that as best they can, that larger bucket of uh, legacy revenue. So getting them to focus and pay attention to these smaller dollars that were going to be our future while still trying to maintain that legacy, you know, larger bucket of, of money was probably our biggest challenge. But we've been working through that. We've had some successes and it continues to be a thing that, that we all have to work through. Overall, how successful was the mini publisher model for the Post and Courier? So I think it was successful in two ways. Uh, so the first, obviously, culturally. So I, I think that more so than I've ever seen anywhere, and I think when we go around and talk to other people in the business, I think, I think we're, we're very fortunate that we had a lot of buy-in, and I think that you're seeing cross-departmental cooperation 
in communication and understanding in uh, ways that you, we've never seen it before. Uh, and I think that's been great. I think everyone involved in this process who's been in a mini publisher group or a working group really has a deeper, better understanding, not only of what the organization is up to and what their goals are, but what each department's role is and how that all fits together. And that's something that I think, you know, we've tried to do in the past, but it's been really challenging. Um, so I think culturally it's been a huge success. And then, of course, we have, you know, top line goals. And in the first year, we exceeded our revenue goal. And we're, you know, we're pretty close here. At the, I mean, we've got a couple of weeks left at the, for the end of the fiscal year for year two. And we're right there, you know, kind of right on budget. And I, I hope we'll finish the year strong enough to make it. So, I mean, I think, you know, by those two measurements, it's been successful. So what would you identify as your more successful efforts? In terms of the many publisher groups, I think, you know, the food group has been probably the one that I would say is just, you know, blowing everybody away. So, you know, that group has done everything from a book uh, that we sold. They've created several different signature events. They have an ongoing event called Now Open. Charleston's a big foodie restaurant town. There are new restaurants opening all the time. They have trouble breaking through and getting the publicity they need. And, you know, people are always curious about trying these restaurants, but they're also very expensive because of the kind of nature of Charleston's food city. So an event we, we have is called Now Open, where we have an open space. These restaurants come in and they have samples and people pay a ticket and they come in and they can taste all the food from the restaurants that have opened in that last quarter. And those have been hugely successful. We sell them out, you know, and the podcast is, and continues to grow in audience and food and business. Foods right there with business are our two top converting content areas for digital subscriptions. So I would say the food group has been a huge success. Probably right behind that is politics, which is uh, we're right in the middle of a series of pints and politics events where we're getting presidential candidates, senators and Congress people to come in and have a beer and hang out and answer questions, you know, for crowds of two and three hundred. So that's been a huge success, too. So what have been some of your less successful aspects of the mini publisher model? Sure. I mean, the first year we, we tried to do college sports. Obviously, in South Carolina, we're right in the middle of SEC and ACC country. College football was huge. We felt like there was an opportunity to really monetize that, primarily through digital subscriptions, but maybe some other ways. Um, and we really struggled with that. And I think what we learned from it wasn't that we're bad at college sports or that our sports guys don't know what they're doing. It's just that's a very competitive market. There are lots of people covering that content area. We do it well, but we don't necessarily do it so much better than our competition that we can paywall and meter that stuff off successfully. So I think that the thing we learned through that was we really need to understand the competitive landscape and the thing that we're going to pursue and push forward has to be unique enough and different enough from the other th options that are out there to really stand out. And I think that was a pretty big lesson for us. So in general, how much time do you give one of these uh, verticals to succeed? You know, somewhere between six and 12 months is usually kind of the, I guess, the gestation period. But, so, you know, sports, we probably within three or four months knew that wasn't working. We had a similar issue with entertainment. And so, you know, we were able to cut those pretty quickly and move on. Conversely, we've been able to spin up some stuff pretty quickly. We just launched a few months ago a very successful vertical around hurricane coverage, uh, Hurricane Wire, where we have a pop-up newsletter. We have a, a content vertical, and we did that within a few weeks, got it launched and running, and it's been hugely successful, and we've just kind of run with it. So that wasn't even our roadmap. Someone just came to us with the idea, and, we were, and because we had this experience over the last year and a half of this mini-publisher model, we were able to move quickly, spin the thing up quickly, and it turned into, into some success. 
I know you mentioned about digital subscriptions being one of your goals, but you also mentioned engagement. How has uh, your audience engaged with, with these various models? I think that depending on, on, on the subject matter, it's, it's been mixed. As, as I said, we, I think we struggled a little bit with entertainment and a little bit with sports. But the engagement level has been high, and, and engagement and digital subscriptions go hand in hand. So the more engaged our readers are and the more frequently they visit the site, the more it becomes part of their daily or weekly habit, the more likely they are to subscribe. So these things go hand in hand, but we're also seeing it in things like, you know, the food group has its own Facebook group. That group has got a lot of engagement. There's more than a thousand people that are on that and they're commenting, they're talking, they're having discussions all the time. So that's not an engagement area where we monetize it, but we really see how it helps the brand. And then, as I said, food is one of our top converting digital subscription topics. The two things go hand in hand. You know, we're seeing great engagement in the areas where we're able to have that content that is unique enough that people will see the value of it. So what has surprised you most about this whole mini publisher effort? I think the thing that's probably surprised me the most really is just how quickly the newsroom embraced this. You know, I wasn't sure. I felt like we had a pretty forward-looking, open-minded newsroom, but it's a newsroom and people tend to be suspicious. They tend to be, they'll ask a lot of questions, right? They're, they're, they're reporters, they're journalists, that's what they were trained to do. And they did that. But as soon as they understood it, and as soon as they uh, kind of got their head wrapped around what it was and why it could work, I was really surprised that we didn't get more pushback. We didn't, you know, what do you mean you want me to have a revenue goal for my mini publisher group? I never heard that. I mean, they all got it. They all understood it. So I think that maybe sometimes we assume that our teams or our staffs or our newsrooms aren't willing to try new things or embrace things. And I think what I would say is what we learned that surprised us the most was just how willing they are right now. And I think part of that is based on the, what we've been through in the last five to 10 years, but just how willing they are to embrace new things, take on new challenges. And if you empower them, and I think that's a big part of it, if you empower them to make some choices and some decisions, they embrace it much more quickly. What would you tell other publishers who might be interested in launching a mini publisher initiative? I mean, I think, first of all, the support has to be there, not just from an editor or even a publisher, but from ownership. So again, going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the call, being a privately owned, locally owned, family owned newspaper made a big difference. Our ownership understood what we were doing. They understood that this was going to be a, not going to be an overnight fix. This was going to take years to build. They believe in it. They embrace it. That trickles down to then our president and publisher, and she believes in it. She embraces it. She preaches it every day. So I think you have to have that steadfast support at the top to make this work. And that's really important because we all know there's going to be shiny objects that come along throughout the year that we all want to go chase. This is something that you've got to stay committed to. It's got to be a fundamental and core to your, not just your short-term, but your long-term strategy. And you have to understand how that is going to play out. And it's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be, you'll see some immediate revenue. You'll see some immediate uptick in engagement. But it's still a long-term play when you stack it up next to the legacy parts of the business. So you're really, it's, this is not something you just did for a couple of years. You're in the middle of the process. Where, where do you see this initiative going in the next couple of years? So we think, you know, and I think it depends on the size of your operation, where that inflection point is. But we believe there will be an inflection point at some, point, at some time here in the next, you know, 
two to five years, again, depending on your size. I think if you're a bigger metro, it's probably closer to two years. If you're, you know, a mid-sized regional paper like us, you may have four or five, six years. But the old business model is on the decline. It's not changing print circulation revenue that's really been sustaining you. Even though you've been losing readers, you've been able to raise revenue. That's coming. That line is coming down. So we're building toward, you know, 2022, 2023, where we feel like if we are not prepared to be a digital business, if we're not prepared to not be a, you know, a print-oriented business, and we haven't made that transition and we don't have that revenue lined up, it's going to be a pretty dire situation. Luckily for us, we've modeled this out. For instance, if we can continue to grow digital subscriptions at the rate that we are right now, if we can just sustain that growth rate, by the early 2022, our newsroom will be fully funded by digital-only subscriptions. That's a big marker for us. If we can get to that point, we believe there will be enough revenue in the other buckets to sustain the rest of the business. But we know the newsroom is central to what we do. We have to have great, unique, original content to be successful. So, you know, order one is to make sure that we can sustain the newsroom that we have and do that through digital subscriptions. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.